Welcome back to Public Address Radio on Radio Live. The National Institute of Water and Atmosphere, or NIWA, research ship Tangaroa, has recently returned from exploring what lies under the sea. With weird and wonderful results aplenty, we thought we'd catch up with programme leader Dr Mark Morrison. So first up, why were you undertaking this expedition? Well, New Zealand's a coastal nation, and it's got a really huge EEZ, or Exclusive Economic Zone. And this kind of coastal area from sort of the edge of the coast out to 200 metres is not very well known to scientists. And we've done a lot of work in shallow places like estuaries and uh, harbours and things, a lot of work off in seamounts, but that area in between has kind of been traditionally ignored. So when you say it's a large uh, Exclusive Economic Zone, it's right out to the edge of the continental shelf or something, isn't it? It's enormous, isn't it? It is. So it's basically defined as the 200-metre break. And in some places around New Zealand, that's very, very close to the shore. Like the Kaikoura area comes in right and really close. That's where you get the sperm whales and things. And in other areas, it's like 100 kilometres or more off. They've also got huge submarine banks as well. So the area is very large. just depends where you are in New Zealand and the extent of it. Now, is it just purely uh, curiosity that leads you to go out there, or has it got a link with our fisheries? Well, all scientists are driven by curiosity. That's of kind of the base of their vocation. But in this case, yes, the idea is there's lots of habitats out there, and we know those habitats have values. So for instance, for fisheries as nursery grounds or for spawning grounds, um, for enhancing biodiversity, which is something that's under threat all around the world, uh, for linking pelagic environments to the seafloor. So from an ecological point of view and from the services and goods we get out of that, things like fisheries, they're really important. But our knowledge of them is rudimentary at best. And how do you actually go about uh, seeing what is underneath uh, the water on these expeditions? Well, first off, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. I and mean, We've got a boat. We're wandering around. It's a huge area. But the way around that is that there's a, a really large traditional knowledge based on commercial fishermen that worked out there for many years. And so what we did at the start of this project was went to a whole lot of retired commercial fishermen all around New Zealand. There's about 50 of them. And with their kind consent, we interviewed them, got them right on charts where they'd seen interesting things. And not necessarily just about the fish they were catching, but about the habitats and stuff. And so that was our first crack at getting, if you will, a stratification of New Zealand to say, these are some really interesting places we should go to. Um, here's a point on a map. We can actually go out and look for those rather than just starting off blind. Now, by looking, you're um, going down in submersibles, you're uh, jumping over with a snorkel and mask, or you're um, just trawling the bottom for whatever comes up? Unfortunately, New Zealand's a small nation, so we can't avoid all the kind of high-end <laughs> tech stuff the Americans and other people have got. So mask and snorkel it is then? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that would, that would kill you for the bends, but never mind. So, um, no, the idea was that there's been some quite sophisticated towed camera arrays built in New Zealand, and so basically um, think of a system size of a small Volkswagen almost that's got high-definition video cameras on it, still camera facing down, big lighting system because it's, it's naturally dark down there. It's past the limits of sort of normal light. And that's towed beneath the vessel um, straight down below at a, at a low speed, like a bit more than walking pace. And that gives us really high-resolution imagery of the seafloor in real time because you can see it on the ship. And it's all recorded and it's all stamped in terms of where it is and stuff like that. So it's quite amazing technology. Like um, the Schrodinger's cat idea when you're dragging a large Volkswagen um, filled to the gunnels with um, light does that not possibly get rid of some of the species you're trying to discover? It, it does except that you need the lighting anyway because otherwise you can't see it under ambient lights but we do it at night and so the idea there is that most of the fish species we're dealing with are asleep sitting inert on the seafloor it doesn't seem to matter too much there's a few species that do remove from we think sharks for instance are adverse to not just the light but the electromagnetics as well because they're quite smart on that. Can I pick you up there about that, something I'd never thought about before? So at night, fish are sleeping on the seafloor. Is that what happens? So all the fish that swim around in the day pop down and have a nap on the bottom? Yes, and that's something we found in about oh, 2005. And that's the reason we can do this kind of work, because before that we didn't know it. 
um, if you tow camera systems during the day, you see no fish apart from really small ones because they're all, they're all they flash off. So things like in the Haraki Gulf out here, you won't see snapper. But we've done work out here at night and seen thousands. So they sit there, they're inert. You can count them like cauliflowers in the field. <laughs> it's a really valuable thing to do. So like extras in a Peter Jackson movie, you've been working from dusk till dawn basically for weeks on end is that what you've been doing yeah like a vampire <laughs> film um it's it's hard on people and there's no two ways about it but it gives us the information the other thing is that all the nocturnal predators come out so things like octopus crayfish uh lots of different kinds of fish that are cryptic during the day come out as predators and, and forage and you can see them as well so you kind of get a double positive from it fish have quite different behaviors at night i mean the ones that aren't asleep i've done night diving before and as you say a lot of the you can see crayfish they all emerge from their holes and start marching across the sea floor and that sort of stuff what's some of the most exciting things that you've spotted while you were under there it depends what you define as exciting what did you find exciting? I, I found like i saw a ghost shark a chimera shark which i thought was really cool but i don't do deep water work so they're quite common in deep water that's something new for me um, what I was most fascinated with, I guess, was the invertebrates and the stuff that came up. So we'd do the counts and stuff on the video, see all kinds of things. But from a taxonomic point of view, you need specimens to say to the, the specialist, what is this? And a lot of animals from different groups look the same, so you don't always know what it is. In fact, there's plants that look like animals and vice versa. Mm. So some of the things I found, like one of my favourites, was a little um, up north at the Three Kings Islands, these little what we call hydroids, which is a colonial animal that filters the water. But they look just like mini trees, so they're about a foot high with a fibrous trunk, even though they're animal, and then a lot of fronds sticking out. Like a palm it. tree. Yeah, yeah, about a foot tall. I found those really cool. But that's just a personal preference, whereas other people like sea slugs or, or whatever. So you say you are um, you are able to somehow gather the specimens if you need to, or no, you just drive over Yeah, we them. do gather them. So the idea of the... How do you the, do that? Well, the, the video system itself is non-destructive. It flies above the seafloor, doesn't touch anything. But to get biological specimens, we need to put down devices to capture them. And for soft sediments, we can use something called a beam trawl, which is just like a, a mini trawl with, um, a, it's called a beam trawl because it's got a, a beam, physically got a fence post across the top of it to hold it open. And that collects stuff on soft sediments. Um, for the harder rocks, obviously you tow anything normal over it, it just gets destroyed. So we tow an armoured dredge. It's quite a small thing, but it's very, very heavy. Um, called a seamount dredge, and so what that does is scrape stuff off the rocks. It is destructive, but it's a small area. That comes back up, and that gives us the sponges, the hydroids, the ascidians, the whatever that we pull out, and then they go to formal taxonomic analysis. So that's how we actually collect that kind of material. And this is a lot of what you're bringing up is stuff that was unknown prior uh, to science. Is that right? We don't know yet, so we've got to put some taxonomists. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm sure there'll be new species. When we did similar kind of work up in the Bay of Islands, we found even new fish, small fish, but new fish and uh, algae and stuff. So we've collected like 2,600 different taxonomic lots. Some of those we know very well, some of them we don't. I'm sure through time as they're processed, new stuff will turn up. There's a, uh, I remember earlier in the year there was um, an expedition in the Kermadex, I think it was. Was that was that part of your expeditions? Uh, no, that was with um, uh, Orkney Museum up the road. But there wasn't anyone person on it, but that was a whole group of guys going up and doing um, fish stuff, diving. Because they found, they found spe- hitherto unknown species, and species also that unknown to that region killed them and brought them home. And I sort of thought, you know, I love this. We find this incredibly rare animal, then we kill it and take it home. Is that because we're assuming that where there's one, there are more? 
We are, and the, the problem is if you don't have the actual specimen and it's something new or unusual, you just can't describe it. There's but no, it's not quite as bad as the Victorians, which went out and here's the last hooey or something, let's shoot it and stuff it. It's not quite that level. Scientists do have some ethical kind of constraints around that. There's no shortage of new species, though, is there? I mean, I remember going to Niwa a few years ago in Wellington, and um, and they just had a backlog of hundreds of species that they think might be new, but it could take years to actually catalogue, describe, and work out whether they are brand new species. That's very true. It's a long process, and it's also the funding to get people to do it, but also having the taxonomy experts. So a whole lot of different groups. New Zealand's small, for instance, um, hydroids, which is this little feathery kind of thing I'm talking about, a huge number of different kinds of types. I don't think we have anyone in New Zealand that's a specialist in that. So that material has to go overseas. It is a long process. And that kind of uh, area where you're getting things that seem to be a hybrid of vegetation and animal life uh, must be fascinating from a science point of view. Yeah, well, they're not hybrids because they're different groups, but the diversity when you see it and the colour, I mean, you know, talk about it, but seeing the colours, phenomenal, really bright colours. Um, it's literally the equivalent of kind of rainforest, but underwater in a temperate zone. We say there's, I mean, there's obviously a link here with, with the fisheries. Um, are you also doing work around fish stocks or the sort of commercial fish that you see? Or is it, I mean, because a hydroid that you discover presumably has no use to man nor beast? Yeah, that's always an argument about biodiversity. Um, yes, we are, and there's multiple projects contributing to this, but one of the things we're looking at is things like fish nurseries, critical areas for spawning, for whatever, and as part of a bigger project we have called Coastal Conservation Management looking at New Zealand zone, we're trying to develop um, a fish habitat classification scheme for New Zealand at a range of scales uh, for the mainland and Stewart Island out to about 200 metres. Now, that will do different... Um, Role. So is it a fishery function for nurseries or whatever, et cetera? So this data does get pushed into more, uh, should we say, management, human-orientated values as well. Fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. That was Dr Mark Morrison. To learn more about the programme, head to www.niwa.co.nz. Coming up after the break, at peace.